This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? There we go. Uh, I am your host, Juan, a.k.a. Truth.in.media. Welcome back, folks. Uh, we're at it again. Uh, today, we actually got a weird episode because we actually have a time traveler on the show today. We're actually talking to somebody in the future. Um, uh, he's actually from Australia, so it's actually Sunday for him, which is uh, just to think about that's a little weird. Um, we're going to ask him what we think about flat earth and all of that. I'm, I'm very curious to see what he thinks about that and how that works into the whole time effect. But, uh, yeah, his name is Drew Missing, and he has his own show or his own podcast called You Missing the Point. Um, he's been doing it for a couple, like maybe 20 something episodes, but, um, I saw he had a couple of my buddies that uh, I actually talked to. Um, he said he heard me on the mastermind, De mastermind debaters podcast that we do sometimes on Mondays uh, with uh, the Great Deception guy, and um, well, here we are, and we're going to just talk to him and figure out, or just listen to his story about how he came to this process of unfolding and looking for things for himself and figuring things out for himself instead of just accepting the narratives that are being fed through the TVs, through the screens, through the radio waves. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show your comrade and mine, Mr. Drew Misson. How you doing, brother? Very good, mate. Thanks for having me. No problem. So you're in Australia, right? I am, yes. I am on the other side of the globe, air quotes. What do you think about that? Um, I, I used to be a, a globe person. Um, I was in the Air Force and for the longest time, I just assumed that you, it's the world is what it is presented. You're taught in school that you know the Earth is a globe. There's a, a solar system full of planets and... I've been in airplanes before and I'm a teacher as well in a public school. So I never actually thought it could be as wild as a flat earth, but I'm, I'd say I'm 98% on board with flat earth, earth at the moment. And that's only come about by, um, I became good friends with moral Bob and a lot of people out there might know moral Bob as one yeah, of the, yeah. the loudest voices for flat earth. One of the best, um, argumentative voices out there for trying to drill it into people's minds and, it was just casual conversation with Bob, and one morning I was out for a a morning jog, and it would have been about between six fifteen six thirty a.m. And I took a photo of where the sun was just above my horizon, and I sent it to Bob, and I said, "Where's the sun in your sky?" And he sent it back, and it was roughly noon at midday for him in the middle of the skyline, and that doesn't work on a a globe model with the termination line. We both shouldn't have been able to see the sun in those positions at that time. So either the earth is flat or there are two localized suns to some degree. 
Oh, okay. That's interesting. What do you think was your major catalyst to like kind of uh, sway more to that side of the fence? Um, finding out that there's so much going on in the world that's complete BS. Like you, you look through, if you deep dive, anyone deep dives on NASA, there's so much fuckery going on there and things that just don't make sense and things that are being hidden and obvious lies that you have to start questioning the narrative and for the longest time, Earth was always known to be a flat plane. And realistically, it's only within the last couple of hundred years to 300 years that Earth has had the globe model presented to us. And we're dismissing hundreds of thousands of years of history of understanding about the world. Right. I love that. Yes, exactly me. For the longest, I was on the fence. And I still am because I haven't confirmed for myself. So I can't say I believe this or that 100%. But I remember one time um, I ate a couple mushrooms and I came across the documentary Leveled. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet. Um, he's literally got a new one out, doesn't he? Yes, yes. I'm yeah, watch Hibbler. Um, I really need to watch it. I haven't watched it yet. But like like you said, I'm, I can't prove it one way or another because I just don't know. Unless I was to get up in a rocket ship and go as high as I could without hitting any kind of a firmament, there's no way I can conclusively state whether Earth is flat or not. I know there's a lot of people out there who say they can by using the globe model's own argument against them. But yeah, I'm 98% sure, but I'm, I never say anything's 100% certain, so... Right, right. And so the thing, maybe we can kind of talk about this because, like I said, I was on the fence and anytime I would hear people talk about the flat earth, I would roll my eyes, walk away and do all of that. And so I realized a lot of this process of awakening or unfolding is being able to be in uncomfortable positions or, or situations. So while I was watching that documentary, I was being presented with all these facts and I was like, okay, okay, taking notes, taking notes. And I kind of felt like a normie person being being schooled by a conspiracy theorist. And so I was like, okay, maybe this is what the people, the normies kind of fail to do. Once they hear something that jives, doesn't jive with their narrative or their worldview, they do what I would do, walk away, turn around, not listen, they close their eyes. But as I sat there being uncomfortable and just listening, you know, all these facts and different ideas and scientific models of how the world probably is flat. I was at the end of that night, I was just looking at the moon and thinking, wow, my whole paradigm, my whole world just changed with that one thing. And a lot of people want to say, what is the, what does it matter if the world is flat or round? May I ask to you, what does it matter if it's flat or round? I think it's probably the biggest issue there is, um, I'm a person who's recently found faith and found Christ. So there's definitely large elements of the firmament and earth being a flat plane depicted through Christianity and the Abrahamic religions. But even beyond that, on a normal level, if the earth is flat and we're in a contained type of realm, it kind of destroys the whole idea of resources being available out in space like there's this big push Mm -hmm. for the space race still when it's going on that they want to go out colonize mars earth's resources are being depleted that type of a deal if we are in a small contained space that we can't go out into space and rely on other planets to colonize that's probably going to kick us into gear and actually look after the planet we've got or the realm we have Mm. we've got so many means of technology and understanding that we could be living in a much more harmonious way with the earth we live on. And oh, that may sound a bit woo-woo and a bit guyish, but you know, if this is a realm that's God's gifted to us, it's it's up to us to look after it. And 
I'm not a person who believes in man-made climate change or global warming or anything like that, but I do believe in pollution and what we do to the planet is pretty, uh, is uh, pretty goddamn horrendous. Yes, yes, I agree. I totally agree. That's the whole angle. I, th- I see it from is the spiritual angle because if they can get the people to believe that all of this is an accident and that there is no God, then they have them where, where exactly where they want them. They want them just seeking material carnal desires instead of kind of just like you said, appreciating and taking care of the planet. It's a very wasteful idea, isn't it? That, that, that our planet is, air quotes, being destroyed by man's actions. So the next thing we do is we go find another planet to do the same thing too. Right. It's a consumerism on a planetary level for them. Right, exactly. So let's get back to the basics, Drew. Um, Tell me, what do you think it was about your childhood or maybe your parenting or your environment as a child that kind of led you down this path of seeking and trying to figure things out for yourself? I grew up as a kid in a upper middle class family where both my parents are blue collar workers and they worked really hard, worked all the time um, to give me and my sisters the best outcomes they could. So I grew up in a pretty privileged situation. We weren't the richest people. We weren't the poorest at the same time. So we just kind of sat on that, that middle ground where we had to really work hard for what we had. And through that, I developed a really good sense of um, self-worth of appreciating hard work. And at the same time, appreciating the downtime and the relaxation that, uh, the world can offer us. So I was a bit of a book nerd as a kid, had my nose buried in books all the time. My mother was actually the person that got me into the conspiracy theories and this type of a world. She bought me a, I think it was like a Bigfoot and a Loch Ness monster book Mm -hmm. when I was probably seven or eight. And that really piqued my interest. And from there it went into me being a 12 year old kid reading the day after Roswell. And I was kind of hooked ever since that there's things in our world that we can't explain. There's things that need to be questioned. That's what kind of started the journey for me of the questioning the narrative and trying to be a truther. Oh, wow. I love that. That kind of brings me back to what I was talking about. So when I was younger, likewise, my dad would take us to the library and I would run to that area of the library that had ghosts, aliens, uh, the, the pyramids, the Bermuda Triangle and all that stuff. Just for some reason, it just fascinated me, like the unknown. And I, I think, again, that ties into that whole idea of being uncomfortable. People don't want to look or seek into crevices that, that make them like think too much or think outside the box. They just want to live in, inside this preconceived notions or ideas of what the world is. And they don't want to question it. They're just kind of walking on eggshells to like just survive. And like you said, uh, you were lucky that you lived in a, in, a, in a household where you had kind of like the leisure time and time to chill and relax and look back. But a lot of people don't have that. So they just kind of, they're living on that, um, what's it called? Um, instincts daily they're just surviving not really looking past or through the veil yeah no they're they're living in the moment they've got far more important things about worrying if they can get food on the table for their kids or there's a kid worrying if they're going to have clean clothes for school or if they're going to have lunch for that day there's more important things for people and i understand that i get it um hopefully that the world can get to a point where people do have the ability to to question what's presented to them a bit more yeah. Oh, right now, well, you were just saying that I thought I, when I was a child, I would always have this dream or this idea of what if there was one day out of the year or one day out of every five years that the whole world decided, OK, we're going to turn off the power tonight and we're going to see all the stars. And that like that could probably be a catalyst or just something to kind of get people to realize where we're at and what we're, we lost. We've been 
we've had so many things taken away from us through the idea of progress. We've kind of traded in paradise for progress and we've lost the beauty. We've cut down the trees. We made these unnormal cities. We've kind of been taken out of the natural world that God's put us in and we've been put into these huge free range uh, places for humans. Yes, human farming, we're the chattel now. But like what you just said about just the concept of looking at the stars that's been taken away from us. I'm lucky I live in a regional area of Australia where I get a full um, sight of the, the night sky. It's fantastic. Oh, and yeah? Anytime, so, uh, yeah, absolutely you can. And oh, anytime uh, a mate or a friend comes down from one of the capital cities, they're in awe of the sky because they they never see it. And you, you see those people's reactions for the first times. It's like they're on an alien planet themselves because they've never oh, yeah. seen it. It's so foreign yeah. to them. Yes, yes. And I see, I think that's what people, that could be one way of waking people up. Have you seen those videos where there's uh, people who are colorblind and then they get these glasses that lets them see all the colors? Yeah, that's really great. It's almost like the uh, the cochlear impl- implant videos as well, where the person gets to hear for the first time. Yes. And yes. it's just one of those senses which has been removed from someone's life for so long. And when they're exposed to it, you can see the elements of joy in people's faces and and. It's almost like they can't believe what's going on around them. I can't hear you. Can you hear me there? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, I'm here. I'm good. I can hear you. Um, yes, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. It's like you're coming, like you discover a new sense, a new thing that kind of shadows, shatters your your viewpoint of reality, kind of makes you break away from just the normalcy things that you do throughout life. And again, maybe to tie in psychedelics, I don't know. I'm sure you've turned to Christ now, but I feel... I tend to to recommend them now because I used to a whole lot when I was younger, but coming across ideas that the whole uh, counterculture movement was actually started by the CIA, I'm kind of like hesitant because I've noticed that mushrooms and psychedelics have the potential to make you believe anything if you kind of just look at it through the right perspective. If I made a, I may make a point. So I, I, I first of all, let me get your point on what do you think about psychedelics. Um, I've never partaken of any drugs before. I live in a pretty strict country where marijuana is illegal across all estates. Um, and I've just never touched that stuff. I've grew up in a pretty uh, conservative household where that type of stuff just wasn't the thing you do. It was considered wrong. But now after like learning what I've, I've learned, like I've gone down that route of learning about like how psychedelics can open up your third eye or open up your chakras, all that type of stuff. Still never partook of it. But now I'm on that kind of lens of, yes, like you said, it was a CIA operation to try and push psychedelics into the mainstream and and kind Mm -hmm. of see what would happen with the free love movement. But at the same time, I think there's a potential that like with all things that alter your, your mind state, that you're potentially leaving yourself open to attack from other things. Yes, And I think not all psychedelics could do that, but if you're using it the wrong way or if you're in the wrong mindset or you've got the wrong intentions at the time, you're leaving yourself wide open for something else to kind of step in. Yes, I love it. I love how you made that so clear. Exactly. Uh, Set and setting, first of all. Uh, But also what I wanted to tell you is my story is, so I've done mushrooms many times. And um, before the mushroom trip would always be like, nature, happy, everything's good, um, fix yourself. And that's the good thing about psychedelics. There are tools to help people overcome traumas or become better versions of themselves. But one time in particular, I, I was on mushrooms and I was meditating and the mushrooms started telling me that um, in a way, what the new world order was a good thing. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? 
And it was saying, yeah, I mean, if we want to have peace on earth, we got to have everyone monitored and we got to be able to record everything so that nobody commits crime. Uh, we got to make sure that the animals are free and we they don't uh, go extinct. So we got to eat the bugs. Like it started presenting me the case that the, what the New World Order wanted was actually good. And I started getting scared. I was like, whoa, 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 no. Uh, I've been studying this for years. How how am I going to be all of a sudden kind of moved and convinced by these mushrooms that they are, that what the New World Order is doing is a good thing. And so I, from then I kind of took a break and I started just uh, thinking that, I'm sure if you've read the book of Enoch. I have, yes. And in the book of Enoch, it talks about how the fallen angels came to earth and they shared this sacred knowledge with humans, which was just occulted knowledge that we weren't meant to have, which essentially was astrology, um, divination, um, makeup for women, um, psychedelics. Also, they brought this idea that psychedelics could be used to kind of expand your mind. But like you mentioned, of course, they open your mind, but they open it so wide to where other things can come in and kind of manipulate you. And I feel a lot of this deception that has fallen upon humanity has been these fallen angels or spirits or entities in the in behind the scenes kind of moving and steering mankind to to kind of go toward this final stage that we're at now, which is to bring about the the Armageddon or the New World Order, or this fourth industrial revolution that they really truly feel they are capable of pulling off. Yeah, and isn't the uh, the Book of Enoch just the missing key from what the the Bible should really include? Like, I know that the uh, the Ethiopian Bible includes that book, but mm -hmm. mainstream uh, the Church of England, uh, the King George Bible, all of those current Bibles they don't have that. During the Council of Nicaea, they elected not to include that in the Bible, and I've always questioned why certain books were included, and ones weren't. Mm -hmm. And if you go down the route of thinking that organized religion. Um, so the physical buildings and the people that control the faith, those are co-opted. It makes a lot of sense that they would remove the book of Enoch because for me, as someone who's just found Christ, who I used to roll my eyes when people would bring up the Christian thing and talk about God. I thought it was all hooey and, and just complete crap. But after reading the book of Enoch, it puts the rest of the Bible into so much perspective and puts mm -hmm. real tangible things on the line of the spiritual war that's going on. Yes, yes, for sure, brother. Exactly. Once you once you look at this whole conspiracy thing through that spiritual lens, it, it kind of all makes sense that yes, they're trying to deceive mankind and go down this route of just dismissing God and we're gods, we're going to become transhuman, become better versions of ourselves and we don't need anything that was in the past nature, that's all going to get demolished and changed into 15 minute cities into enclosed areas, which is just all control. But to go back uh, to where you said your mom kind of turned you on into this and she gave you that Loch Ness book. After that, what else did you, what other steps or what other things did you start doing to kind of start learning about this seemingly hidden realm? Uh, so I was a teenager during 9-11 and I can vividly remember, like not not even as an American, it was still such a, a colossal event in history where I can remember being on the couch. It was the middle of summer in Australia, stinking hot. And I could remember just seeing those planes fly into the building and thinking to myself as a teenager, holy shit, this is the third world war. It's kicking well, off yeah. right now. That's what I thought at the time. Then I, I grew up during, you know, the invasion of Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, it kind of formulated even for a non-American, the idea of patriotism in the West. And that kind of motivated me to join the Royal Australian Air Force. And I was always a very patriotic person. 
But at the same time, I still had that free thinker mindset in the back of my of my mind. I didn't go in as as a pilot or a, a ground defense guard or anything. I went in as a paramedic. So I've always got that idea of caring for people and looking out for people. And I eventually met my wife and left, and that was a history of my service. But I always kept coming back to asking the questions of why. Why is the world the way it is, especially with the weapons of mass destruction being complete lies for the justified invasion of Iraq. It had nothing to do with September 11. Finding out that September 11 was most likely an inside job um, where all those people that died were collateral damage, which is just horrendous and horrific. It just kept driving me to ask questions. And the thing that really got me into the speaking my truth and being open about it was actually COVID. Um, I'm a teacher, so during the, the events of COVID, I live in the most lockdown state in the world, Victoria. And as a teacher, I was mandated to take the shots. And for the longest time, knowing those shots were coming, it was discussions around what my wife and I, what we were going to do. Would we have to have them or not? And that's when I first started actually seeking for myself, looking for evidence of faith in God. And I looked for the longest time. I didn't find anything Unfortunately, due to our circumstances to keep food on the table and pay our bills, I had to take the shots, which I regret every day, but that's that's in the past now we're moving on. I got to a point where I thought, you know what, there's no signs. God's not there. It's, it's, it's all hooey. It's not real. Until a couple of events within the space of a week kind of solidified it for me. I Essentially, I saved a kid's life. A kid was running out of the school and darted across a busy intersection of a road, and I had to tackle him out of the way, and we both almost got hit by the car. So there was that event. And then a week later in my own neighborhood, there was a a domestic dispute between a father and his teenage son where they were hitting each other with golf clubs and really going at it. And I was just, I don't have the bystander mentality of watching and just seeing what happens without instinct, without thinking, I just ran into it and broke it apart and told them to, you know, pull their heads in. What are you doing? Your, your, Your father and son. And, I ended up staying there with the, the kid and as he unloaded all the worries of his life onto me after his father went inside and cooled off. But I think I was put in a space at those times for a reason. And I think that was the sign I was always looking for. And it was a, a pretty big one for me. Wow. That's kind of like an omen, good omen. Sort of, sort of, I mean, bad situations, but a good omen to get you to come back. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, like I said, I've, I've traditionally, I'd, I was raised as a, a Presbyterian, but we didn't actively practice as a family. And for the longest time, really didn't think much of it. And then in what I thought was my lowest time in life, after searching for it and f- not finding any answers, it kind of presented itself to me. So I'm very much a believer now. And that kind of so, drove me to to start my podcast and, and just to talk to people and listen to people around the world. I love it, brother. I'm, I'm hearing, I hear that story so much that COVID was the catalyst to get them to like reevaluate their life and really see what matters and what's important. Um, I, so you, what you're telling me is that you were actually actively seeking God, and but you couldn't find them or tell me about that. So I was just, it was, life was, in other words, pretty shit. It was, I was going to have to have something I didn't want that I'd research that I was really concerned about it was going to be a death shot. It was going to cause massive health effects or fertility issues. All these types of stuff was running through my mind. It was a really hard time where when we went out and protested what the government was doing during those times, we had armed police and military garbs shooting us in the back with rubber bullets and, and beanbags. And the world didn't look like a very good place. And 
I just found myself just thinking inside my head, having that internal monologue dialogue. Like, if you're real, God, if 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 you're really out there, why aren't you doing anything? Like, we're mm. sitting there, we're standing up to this, and we're losing. We're losing every single time we go out there. I was just looking for a sign. I was asking for a sign, and nothing happened. And it was mm. probably the second year into COVID. I just kind of gave up. And out of the blue, those two events happened, and I thought, okay, yep, you've got my attention now. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. And it's strange, yeah, how people, different people come to God at, at last. And so once you start, you started really feeling him, what did you, what would you do? You started reading the Bible more or going to church or what kind of things would you do to get closer to him? So at the moment, I describe myself as um, denominationally homeless. Because of the uh, being a conspiracy theorist, I see the control structures within organized religion um, and I can't put down any single church to affiliate with or to go and check out. I've spoken to community members in different denominations, but at the moment for me, it's just researching the Bible and reading it and, and going through it and trying to understand and conceptualize the faith for myself more before I actually join a community church, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's been really beneficial having a lot of um, podcasting friends out there that all on different journeys and they all belong to different denominations themselves just to get advice and to chat and to really understand what it's all about right yeah man that's that's the most interesting thing to me more than more than even a conspiracy theorist is the spiritual side of things because like similar i i grew up in a christian household Uh, i became atheist for a while but then psychedelics brought me back to god and now i for the for the longest during my teenage years, I would read about Buddhism, about um, Hinduism, about different religions around the world, and I was kind of like I liked all of them, and they all kind of sort of in a way made sense. So it really bothered me when the Christians would say Jesus is the only way, and that kind of rubbed with me wrong. So for that reason, I would kind of stay away. But now it's it's weird. I like how Josh Monday he says. Um, the whole truth was always in our bookshelf, like the Bible. It's always been right in front of us, but people do so much mental gymnastics to not believe it, to like believe into evolution or the Big Bang Theory, all these things they indoctrinate us with. And so have you seen the movie Life of Pi? I have, yes. So right now I'm kind of reminded of that. He was an Indian boy, but he was also kind of a Buddhist, a Christian, a Islamist, a Muslim, all of these things together. And his parents were kind of, his parents and his brother are kind of berating him and, and making fun of him saying, how many more religions are you going to convert into? And so for me, I, I kind of can see and acknowledge how religion can be just an institution to have a monopoly on God in a sense. But then again, they also have these teachings and these ideals of just trying to connect with our creator, with our God, and just to be honest and to be good and to do the right thing. And so to me, that's the angle that I come in at it. I love Jesus, of course, um, but I don't know if I can commit to saying that if people don't believe or say the word Jesus, they're going to go to a hell. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? When you think about organized religion, like there's a lot of bad stuff associated with it. The, the Catholic church hasn't been the best thing for Christianity with all its issues of, um, pedophilia and the way that the Catholic church has kind of snuffed out, um, first nations cultures around the world and that type of thing. It has a real negative connotation with it, but the issues are that 
without Christianity, we've seen a complete nosedive in societal morals and what it is to be a good citizen and a good person, right? Some yeah. people would say that that's a control structure, but it's very noticeable that without elements of the Abrahamic religion, morals and social decay, it's just exponential. Right, we right. know that the majority of rules and laws are actually based on Abrahamic religion. Thou shalt not kill. That's why we have laws for murder. That's why we have um, assault and battery, like being kind to your neighbor. All of these things, at its very essence, if you take away the faith and you take away the the spiritual side of things, it's a good moral framework for how to be a good person. Right. And even right, if right. you're looking at it just that that lens and that frame, it's absolutely perfect. It's does it have issues? Yes. Have there been issues in the way it's been implemented by people during history? Absolutely. But if you take it as its as its core meaning of being a good person, it's absolutely fantastic. And so, as you said, I can't say hundred for hundred percent if someone's going to go to hell for their life choices. The Bible right. might say it, but I don't know. I'm not going to be there when that person passes, and right. I hundred percent don't know whether I'm going to heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. That's that's for the man upstairs to decide where I go. Oh, all I can do is live my best life as a person and a human being, and and through discovering faith and and trying to follow those tenets, trying to be the best Christian and best man I can be. And I think that's all you can do at the end of the day. The the Bible's there as as a guide, but I don't think it's necessarily the rule set in stone. Yeah, right. I love that. I love that. But interesting, also, it's funny or just weird how. Yes, the Christian idea is about love and forgiveness, yet also Jesus spoke about destroying evil. And he mm-hmm. actually went into the church and, and made a, a whole fuss when people were trying to sell a, a, in his house. And I think it's also interesting how the Christian community is kind of the one major uh, front that is actually pushing back against all this messed up thing that's happening with drag queens, LGBTQ, trying to indoctrinate kids into this whole transgender ideology. It's. It seems like we are coming at that crossroads where it seems like in the Bible it says there's going to be this ultimate battle between good and evil right in front of our eyes, and it's culminating into that. You can see it, like with everything that's happening in Florida, the elections are coming up, things are gearing up. It's not to fear monger. It's just to tell people, don't you see what's happening? This has been foretold in prophecy. I mean, it's time to get back with your neighbors, to grow your own food, to become independent. And it's awesome because a lot of people are doing it. There's people like you who are spreading their message, a lot of niches, a lot of little corners around the Internet that they're trying to become better. Um, what would you say to people who like are where you're at now that where you were, I'm sorry, where you were in the past, where you were looking for God, but you just couldn't find them and you were just kind of lost? What would you tell to somebody who's looking but hasn't found anything? It's it's easier said than done, but I don't think you can constantly keep looking for it. That's how I burnt out and I kind of just gave up and I didn't think it would happen. And lucky for me, I kind of got that kick in the backside and it was very obvious for me. I think you just really, you need to let it happen. And you can take away the aspects of I'm looking for a God. I'm looking for all this omnipotent being that's created everything. That's a journey. Some people find themselves. They want to find it. They need evidence of it. You don't necessarily have to find that in the beginning. I think if you just live your life as the best person you can be and you follow your own moral compass as you see fit, as you think the world should be, I think it's going to happen for you. It's it's going to present itself in some kind of way. It could be a, a glaringly massive sign. Um, it could be a very small sign. It could be something that just happens in in passing. But 
I think you just have to live your life as best as you can and let it happen. I think actively searching for it, all you're going to do is burn yourself out and wear yourself down. Yeah, that's true. I love it. Yeah, I love it. And like I said, it seems like from where I'm at, my perspective, I love to see and and think that a lot of people are, are changing that they're seeing even like nothing against gays or anything, but even they're coming out and saying, yo, what y'all are doing is disgusting. You're actually grooming and teaching kids to do all these disgusting things. And they're switching over. And also on Reddit, there was, there's this um, forum. Now it's called uh, wall street bets, uh, wall street silver or something. At first it used to be all about a uh, wall street and how to put bets on the stock market. But now it's shifted to where like people are actually posting all the messed up things that are going on. And it's like, well, even this whole community, <laughs> who was just into finance and money is now actually talking about all the stuff that they're doing to the kids and how they're trying to indoctrinate people. And it's just like, yes, yes, please. I mean, the more that people speak, because like you, before I started this podcast, I, I, I knew these things I would research, I would read, but I wouldn't share with anybody. I just kept it to myself. And I, after a while, I was like, well, this is very greedy. What am I doing? And also in a sense, I wanted to leave something for my daughter when she, she's seven, eight years old right now. I want to leave something for her in case anything were to happen to me where she can see or learn about these things that no one's going to teach her unless it's me because not many people are like that. I'm sure you're aware of that, but that was my major catalyst to be like, well, I have to leave something behind. I, I have to I have to be, at least be able to say that I tried. Yeah. If, if there is some kind of judgment that when you do pass on or wherever you go to, I do really think that the way you conducted yourself in your life determines where you go. I, I don't think your life is so precious and everything you experience is so important. I don't think it's simply a case of you die and you're buried in the ground. There's got to be greater meaning for humanity than that. Oh, and, yeah. and yeah, if, if there is that judgment time, you know, what have you done? It's, it sounds a bit, um, it's almost like the inversion of what you see in, in films where what have you done to secure your place in this increasingly overpopulated world? It's what have you done to secure your place in the afterlife? What have you done right. to be a good person? Right. Yeah. I love that. And uh, maybe to answer the question I had asked you, how do you get people who are looking at some kind of convention or proof? What I always like to point to is near death experiences or people who come back to life. They always have this story of like, something basically very spiritual, uh, seeing their whole life flash before their eyes. And it, it kind of shows them that, wow, there there is something on the other side. And I don't know what it is. I can't say that it's a heaven or hell, but all I can say is that in my point of view is you return to primal source or the primal energy that created everything. Yeah. And it's often a, it's a really a, a dynamic changing shift for people. A lot of these people that have these experiences tend to be very atheistic or they don't have any real belief system and then they go through that and they become born again. So to change someone's outlook on, on life so dramatically, there might be something to it. We don't know. Right. Right. And so now also eventually after COVID, you really felt you had to put your voice out there. Um, what was the, what that process that you went through? Cause I love how you used your last name to incorporate it into your title of the podcast. Please tell us about what made you started exactly your steps and then tell us about your show. So like a lot of other people, I was locked in my house for nearly, in Victoria, it was nearly three years we're locked in our houses for. Um, I just started listening to podcasts and I know lots of people started podcasts back then. I just didn't feel comfortable doing it at that time. Um, but I listened to a lot. I got stuck into OBDM, Our Big Dumb Mouth, which 
was hilarious. It made me laugh. It made me smile during those really terrible times. I started listening to people who I'm now good friends with. And it got to the point where COVID was kind of dying down and the, the air quotes pandemic was over. And I thought, you know what? I can do this. And I reached out to Adam from Deborah Gets Red Peeled. And I just started off as, as being a guest on the show. And then it went from there. I decided, you know, I can do this. I'll start my own show. I can I can talk to people. I can hold a conversation. Like I teach 30 plus kids each hour, over 500 students a day. I teach art. Um, But I I teach 500 odd students in a day. And, you know, I I teach adults. Um, I've been in conferences before. I've led uh, group work. I should be able to do this. And it was a bit nerve wracking to begin with talking to yourself or talking to a screen, but I'm really enjoying it. It's the, it's talking about things that for whatever reason, society has told us we're not allowed to talk about. The system's been really good at saying you don't talk about religion or politics at the dinner table. And that soon became, you just don't talk about religion or politics to anyone. And I Mm. think those are the most important conversations to have and to have that with, to begin with like-minded people and then to speak to people who would challenge my own thinking and make me reflect on my own practices or my own life. I think that's the most beneficial thing to come out of all of this. Yes. Yes. I love that, man. That's so interesting how you said that, uh, when people ask me how you really think that a small group of people can control the world yes of course especially with all the technology but even that little mental thing that you just said don't talk about politics or religion that has been like ingrained in people's souls and no one even really told them this it's just something people don't do but exactly like when these conversations that i have it's basically that government and and politics and and spirituality trying to figure out what's really going on because if they can keep you from talking about those things and they got us they got they got us exactly where they want us they just want us to shut up about the most important things in life and do the most things that they just show on TV, which is buying things, consuming. It's never about creating or producing art like you. Exactly. We need more people like you who are creating and making things, not just consuming and buying and trying to fill that void inside of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always been a little bit of an artist growing up and just to find myself in a position where I could actually teach it full time as my job is amazing. Seeing what kids can do with their imaginations and that level of creativity. We've all got that creative spark and to foster that in kids and have them actually explore that within themselves is a great thing to see. Um, I've always wanted to be a teacher and I actually had a, my previous guest was also a teacher. And the only reason that I didn't do it is because I, I found out that there's curriculums that uh, teachers have to follow and they have to like stay within those. But if I may ask, do you have anything that you kind of do yourself that's not part of the curriculum that you kind of introduce to kids to kind of get them to think outside the box or something? Well, I'm really lucky that our curriculum within the arts is so broad. It's all about exploring, investigating, um, how, looking at arts from different cultures, different times and different perspectives. There's nothing really set in stone of what you have to do. So I get to design, I take what the curriculum is in its gray, very broad sense, and I can hone it down to what I, I think kids would engage in what they'd like. So I go through a timeline of art. I go back all the way to um the cave art in France, oh, the, all the way yeah. through indigenous art in Australia, all the way up into what modern art is and, and showing kids that how art has changed and what the meaning behind the art was and and just giving kids a bit of, a bit more insight into what it is. It's Unfortunately, a lot of art teachers out there, they take the whole, we're making a, a lizard and we're going to stick the eyes on here and the tail goes there. 
and it's very regimented and follows a, a series of steps whereas art really should be what the artist sees and what they value from it so it's showing kids what types of arts there are and letting them investigate which one they want to to try themselves that's awesome and i love that approach because likewise with me whenever i try to break something down i try to go to the beginning where did it all come from where did it all start and yeah it's awesome to see uh the progress of art like with the cave paintings and then uh, the different time periods throughout time and, and even now what is your opinion of today's modern art because in my opinion modern art it sucks it's ugly it's devoid of meaning it's 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 um i'm a very i'm a bit of a snob when it comes to art i'm a very much an impressionist and classical art form type of a guy but what we're seeing today is it's brutalism it's bastardization of art you look at architecture now compared to what it used to be it's chalk and cheese you look at the way buildings are now they're very stale everything looks like it's almost like a hospital building it's i think it's that way it actually drains you looking at those types of buildings whereas you look at like a victorian era building with its ornate um, sculptures its cornices its framework around windows it's art in itself like the the builder or the window maker they all put in hours and hours of work they put their heart and soul into it and it's reflected you can get that feeling of warmth from older buildings today's quickly manufactured popped up buildings which anyone can put together like a lego um, set it doesn't have the love in it. And I think that's yeah. for a reason. Well, it's actually called brutalism. The modern yeah. start architecture is brutalism. It's brutal. It's disgusting. Uh, we have a, a dominoes by our home and um, it used to be red and blue, which is okay. It kind of stood out, but they repainted it. And now it's actually gray. And it's boring. <laughs> I'm like, what are y'all doing? And exactly. I like looking at Tartarian architecture just in the past, how everything was imbued with beauty and style. And like you said, even the, the corners of a window had, had like a beautiful, pleasing thing to it. Like you appreciate it and it made you feel like, like when you look at a, a nature of badass sunset, it kind of brings that that thing to it. And then with this modern shit, brutalism, it really does dull the senses. It makes you now. It makes I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just sterile. It's it's boring. There's nothing to it. And um, that's why I, I feel we need to revitalize art. That and the art, spirituality, and politics. If we can all just find the blend, the way that we can all make this kind of work. Not in a new world order type of sense, but in a in the sense that we all just, I don't know, just try to be better people and try to help one another. And I always had these dreams that we, we have a perfect world. But do you think it's possible for uh, humanity to have a utopia, even though the world means a place that doesn't exist? I think we've got a, a long, hard slog against us. We're, we're pushing it uphill to try and make that happen. Um, I hope that that's the case. But... The more I research, it's it's hard not to be blackpilled at times seeing the the forces that we're up against, even as individuals. If we were all to unite and have the same understanding, we'd have a chance, I think. But I don't know. I think we need we need a little bit of outside intervention and help from a certain someone upstairs. Yeah. Just to yeah. come back to what you're talking about with brutalism, I think there's a very real reason why they went that route. Everything's angular, everything's flat. The insides of buildings now are very open living. Um, flat large rooms they're all interconnected there's no single little rooms anymore that was definitely designed so they could usher in wi-fi and 5g so it could disperse within the house easier if you have an older style house with innate cornices and window framework and and walls everywhere it's a lot harder for those signals to actually make their way through the house and to affect devices and people 
Whereas if you've mm-hmm. got an open format house with flat walls where the, the waves bounce off and hit back, you're actually getting bathed in it a lot easier than what an oh, older traditional house would be. Wow, wow, wow. That's interesting. And, and, and while you were saying that, it actually made me think of 1984 where it was just like a big one room so the yeah. camera could see everything. So exactly. it's kind of a way so they can watch you all the time. Yeah, man, I, I love this kind of these, these topics and stuff. So what do you... Th- what do you think would, would happen? What's going to happen? So, do you think that, like you said, you said that there's going to be an intervention from above, or do you think that humanity will become enslaved, or do you think we will liberate ourselves? I think we're going to have to go through the the hard times first. I think that things will get very tough. Um, we will end up in a system where CBDCs are used to control people. There'll be social credit systems. We'll see potentially food shortages or at least food rationing. We're going to see very hard economic times in the future, which will just make it easier for people to control, especially with the technology level that we have today. And I think from there, that's going to foster and enforce a bit of rebellious thought in the majority of the population. It's going to light a fire in people's hearts where they want to fight against the the bad things. Humanities, we're built that way. That's why we love stories and we like films where the underdog is fighting, is constantly fighting against adversity. They, we, we root for that little, the underdog, the person who has to fight off those types of things. So it's innate in people. And it was surprising there wasn't much of it during COVID, to be honest. But I think if it's harsher than what COVID was and everyone's held to a certain account that it's going to foster a rebellious streak in the population. That's when we're going to push back. I love it, man. And right now, while you were saying that, it actually reminded me of a post that I posted a couple of days ago. It's about this movie called The World's End. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? I have, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's about this. On the surface, it's about an alcoholic guy who just wants to have a great time. But if you kind of read between the lines and behind the scenes, it's it's really about this how would you call it an alien force i guess trying to come down and enlighten humanity and um so one of the main characters in the show which i feel he's speaking from the human spirit he's like who are you to come and control us so here let's i'm gonna play this and so we can just uh listen to this and then we'll have our closing statement and that'll be it okay cool cool yeah yeah Gary King of the humans. Yeah? What do you want? We are here to enable your full potential, as we have with countless worlds across the galaxy. Oh, yeah. How did you manage that, then? We appropriate a small percentage of the population at 2,000 or so penetration points across the planet. This ensures maximum coverage. From them, we create simulants to spread our ideologies through peaceful indoctrination. Our objective is simple, to ready the population for participation in our galactic community. This method requires a small sacrifice, but the fewer replacements we make, the more successful we consider our operation. Of course, we welcome those who volunteer themselves. We can offer attractive incentives for those who willingly combine. The chance to be young again, and yet retain selected memories. Isn't that something you'd like? Something you've always wanted? 
Oh my God. I'm so cute. The beauty of our system is that we all win. There are no losers. Allow me to carry your legend forward. Let the man you have become be the boy you were. So this guy is killing what is essentially a robot who wants to replace him. And he's like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. There's only one Gary Kick! Then you have made your choice, Gary, king of the humans. Yeah, I have. Because, frankly, who the fuck are you to come down here and tell us what to do? We are the network, and we are here for your betterment. In the last 23 years, have you not marveled as information technology has surged forward? No. Earth has grown smaller yet greater as connectivity has grown. This is our duel, and it is just the beginning. Oh, fuck off, you big lamb. You are children, and you require guidance. There is no room for imperfection. Hey, Earth isn't perfect, all right? And, and humans aren't perfect. And guess what? I ain't perfect. And therein lies the necessity for this intervention. Must the galaxy be subjected to an entire planet of people like you? Whoa, 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 whoa. Who put you in charge, huh? Who are you to criticise anyone? Now, you might think Gary is a bit of a cock, and, and, and he is a bit of a cock, hmm? but he's my cock. Oh, thanks, buddy. But he is a detriment to himself, just as Earth is a detriment to the galaxy. What did you say? You act out the same cycles of self-destruction again and again. At this point, your planet is the least civilized in the entire galaxy. What did he say? Say we're a bunch of fuck-ups. Hey! It is our basic human right to be fuck-ups! This civilization was founded on fuck-ups, and you know what? That makes me proud. And me! What is it they say? To err is... To err is human. To err is human! So... Uh, we do not believe you speak for all humanity. You are but two men, two drunk men. Three drunk. <laughs> oh, you are in trouble now. It's only the fucking three musketeers. You are revolting against the wisdom of countless solar systems. Yeah, we are revolting. Wait. He just said you're not here to conquer. Can I just ask, how many people did you have to replace in New Haven? That is irrelevant. Is it? Hands up. Who here? It's human. Two. I'm human. One. And me. That's two. I am. Oh, don't know for how long. Oh, so what's that? Three. You had to replace an entire town. Not the entire town. Well, everybody apart from old Nutball and the Shifty Twins. That's a good name for a band, Gary. You should write that down. I will. What about the ones you replaced, like Peter and Oliver? Yeah. What happened to the empties? I told you not to ask that. Redundant vessels are recycled, mulched, and converted into fertilizer, whereupon they are returned to the earth to promote verdancy and growth. It is a highly efficient means of organic renewal. Mulched? It is a relative few in the light of our long-term plan. You mean a few hundred thousand turns of fucking compost? What about the other places, the penetration points? 
Are they as successful as Newton Aben? Because I'm, I'm guessing we're not the only glitch in your system. It is true. The network has been experiencing some difficulties. I think you bit off more than you could chew with Earth, mate. Yeah, because we are more belligerent, more stubborn, and more idiotic than you could possibly imagine. I am not just talking about Gary. Yeah, there's more than one Gary King. But you said... I know what I fucking said. Your reliance on profanity is a measure of your immaturity as a man and as a species. You Get in your rocket and fuck off back to Legoland, you cunt. Stop fucking starbucking us, man. Yeah. It's our duty to challenge you. Just leave us to our own devices, you intergalactic asshole. Don't misunderstand. You don't say it. He we are a human race, and we don't like being told what to do. Just what is it that you want to do? We want to be free. Yeah. We want to be free to do what we want to do. Yeah. We want to get loaded. Yeah. And we want to have a good time. And that's what we're going to do. It's pointless arguing with you. You will be left to your own devices. Really? Yeah. And so essentially that's it. But to me, th- that that's what it is, the human. We have to be allowed to make our own mistakes. Like they can't control us, uh, what we can eat, what, what drugs we can take, uh, who we're allowed to marry, if we're allowed to travel. The human, is it's a free human. God made us with God-given rights that we're allowed to be free to travel, to do what we wish, to reach happiness. But Man, it seems like the whole world is going anti-constitution, anti-bill of rights. They just want to control humans completely. Yeah, it's um, failure is fertilizer. And sure, it might smell like shit from time to time, but you're learning from it. (laughs) Say that again? Failure is fertilizer and it might smell like shit sometimes, but you're learning from it. Oh man, I'm going to write that down. Failure is fertilizer. Might smell like shit... We're, that's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. We have to, the, the only reason that you and I can talk or walk is because we messed up so many times that we learned how to do it properly. And it's just like they, they want to control us completely because they're afraid of, of what happens when humans are actually free because they want to have control. But I, get, I, I feel the more freedom that we were to have and they, they just respected us more and, and sh- just gave us the opportunity to like truly govern ourselves. We could really, really reach a paradise. But like Terence McKenna says, we're led by the least among us, the least visionary, the least noble. And, and we don't do anything to change it. And I, um, and I just feel like it is happening slowly. And we might not see it on the news, but a, a big majority of the people are waking up. And, and I feel you're part of it. So if you, had, if you had your ears, Drew, of the whole world, and you had a message to say, what would you, what would you say to the world? Start having conversations. Don't be worried about political correctness or don't fall for the trap of never speak about religion or politics because the people at the top aren't trying to solve the world's problems by any measure. They're just making money off it and living off it, the the teat of big government. So the only way we can solve the world's problems is to actually talk to people. And the more people that talk about any given problem, there's more minds thinking about how to solve it. And that's the only way we can do it. Yes, I love it. Basically, just like the archaic times, just talking on the campfire, just speaking your mind, not being afraid of saying the wrong thing, you know, loving your brother and being able to say anything without him getting offended. But thank you again, Drew. Uh, Guys, this is Drew. Uh, Go check out his Instagram and his podcast. I'm going to put the links down below. 
Um, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how, how do they reach you, Drew? Uh, they can contact me on Drew Misson, M-I-S-S-E-N, at 88 at gmail.com. Drew Misson, 88 at gmail.com. And your podcast? Uh, you're Missing the Point. They can find it on any podcast? Feed? All the usual podcatchers, iHeartRadio, um, Spotify, iTunes, everywhere. Okay, guys. Yeah, go check them out. And uh, get, thank you all for listening to the show. And remember, know thyself, improve thyself, find the others, and then you'll know what to do. Peace. Hey, everybody. It's closing time. You don't got to go home, but you can't stay here.